maybe are a little bit uh, odd in relation to the topic of prayer. You might wonder, well, uh, what does this really have to do with praying? Uh, But we're really wanting to, as it were, pull back the outward format of prayer and reveal what the the underlying uh, current is, or the underlying foundation, rather, is the word I'm looking for, uh, of how we can pray. What makes it possible for sinners such as you and I uh, to be able to come and to speak to God, to speak with God, and to know what it is to call upon his name. And we'll come to deal with these uh, truths that are foundational, not just to prayer, but to our very salvation as we come to look at this topic today. Let's just uh, glance back to Romans 8 and to the verse number 32. We're not taking this as a text by any means, but um, it's probably the closest thing to a text for this morning. It's something of a platform from which we want to, as as it were, kind of dive into this topic of prayer. It says, verse 32 of Romans 8, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we find in the Gospels and in various places throughout the Scriptures that God gives those that ask. He gives them their requests. He answers their requests. And whatever we ask in his name, he gives it unto us. But it gives us that foundational word in verse 32, the fact that he was not spared, the fact that he was delivered, He died upon the cross at Calvary. That is the foundation, primarily, of how it is that we can come into the throne room of prayer and to seek the God of grace in such a manner. So let's just, before we come to preach on prayer, uh, let's just still our hearts in his presence once again and ask for his help as we look at how it is possible uh, for sinners such as us to come into the throne of grace every single day and every time we gather together in the public fashion even as we are today. So let's unite our hearts. Let us pray together as we seek the King, even at this stage. Our Heavenly Father, we do again come before Thee, and we're thankful for the truth of the Scriptures that we can depend upon, that we can find surety in, that we can find confidence in, that it's not in our works of righteousness, that it's not in our goodness or in our church attendance or in our many time spent in prayer, whatever it might be for each individual. It's not in anything that we have done, but it is in all that Jesus Christ has done that we can come to thee even now. And we pray in his name, not just as a simple tag on to our prayers, not just simply to, uh, Lord, close up and to conclude the time in thy presence, but we pray in the name of your Son because you have commanded us to do so. And we know that it is through his name that we have access to the Father, that he is the door, not just the door of salvation, But Jesus Christ is the door even into the throne room of grace. And we ask that you'd help us to see these things, to lay hold of these things, to live these things out in the day and age in which we dwell. For we truly need to be a people of prayer. Lord, we know the devil will attack us. We know the difficulties that surround praying. And Lord, we pray that you'd come, that you'd help us in the midst of these trying times, in the midst of the dark days in which we dwell, in the times whenever we know we must pray, but there is that fleshly struggle against it. And the church would come together and pray as a body of thy people. You know the difficulties that are there. The tiredness that comes upon us. The distractions that might be in the gathering of the saints. And even within our own hearts about the things that have happened in the week past. And the things that we're worrying about and anxious over about the week ahead. Lord, come and help us to have victory in prayer. To have power as we pray. 
And to know what it is for the Spirit of God to move in our prayer meetings once again. Not just here in Guildford, not just as this preacher prays now, not just as we preach upon this topic in a moment's time, but Lord, that every single Lord's Day, in every single gathering of the saints, in every single place throughout this world, that the people of God might know what it is to lay hold, not just boldly with a confidence, but a confidence based in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to be empty in our praying. Let us not hold on to our own righteousness or supposed righteousness as we pray. But may we know what it is to lay hold of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And to come and to demand things from God. Because of the Son of God who died upon the cross to achieve them. We pray for the sinners in this area of Guilford. We pray for the lost. Perhaps individuals that are gathered out even here this morning. That are outside of Christ. We pray for them and we, we cry out for their souls even now. Not because they deserve to be saved. Not because we, we want them to be free from hell. Not because of all these outward things, although we, we can see the benefit of them and we do desire these things for their, for their benefit. But above and beyond all of those things, we pray, Lord, that your Son will be glorified and seeing the people for whom he died being added to his kingdom, and being adopted into his family, being brought in to the very courts of heaven, all because of the blood that was shed upon Calvary's tree for them. Lord, come and answer our prayers because of Jesus. May there be power in our prayers because of Jesus. May his name be lifted up. May he be exalted in all that will be said and done in the entirety of this service. For we pray these things in the name of your Son and for the glory of your Son alone. Amen. How is it that we as sinners, naturally depraved, born in transgression, living for sin, all of a sudden, one day, because of our conversion, awake and be able to pray unto God. How is it that we can, as Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, how is it that we can come boldly into the throne of grace? How is it we can lay hold fast to our Lord and Savior in our petitions? It is simply because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we'll come to unpack that little phrase in a moment's time, what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is something that Romans deals with in its entirety. Not just in Romans 8, but from Romans chapter 1 right the way through, it deals with the sinner born in a corrupt state and in a sinful condition and how we can move into a close relationship with God and come into his presence and to note it is to lay hold of him in a place of prayer, for example. Prayer, as we mentioned in our prayer a moment ago, is something we find difficult. It is a struggle for us to pray. And if any of us were to give a testimony as Christians about our prayer life, I'm sure all of us at some point in our life would be able to point to difficulties and to the struggle, if not to maybe years ago in your early years as a believer. Perhaps for most of us it might be this morning, struggling with tiredness as you wake up, as you roll out of bed knowing that you need to seek the face of God once again for another day, but also feeling the struggle of the flesh. Thing and the difficulties that come upon you. And that temptation to fall into the things of the world. What did the, the Lord tell his disciples in Mark's gospel? At chapters 13, 14, and 15. I think there's various places there. He tells them to watch and to pray. And the first time it's in the context of him reminding them that one day he would return. That we are living in the final days. That the G Jesus Christ, he would depart from them, but one day he would descend again from heaven. And what does he tell the people of God? Not just his disciples, but all of us to watch and pray. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane a few chapters later. 
And he has his disciples with him and they're there and he comes back to them a couple of times and he first of all tells them to watch. Comes back and he finds them not maybe as he would expect them to be in the place of prayer and they're tired. He comes back and he says to them the second time, watch and pray. And then finally he emphasizes to them, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And every day we know what it is to fall into temptation. Even as God's people, as believers, we do things that we should not do. We don't do the things that we ought to do. There is a difficulty as we seek to live holy lives in this world. We struggle. But prayer is given unto us. It is a gift purchased for us by Jesus Christ that we ought to engage in every single day of our lives. It is to be part of the Christian's experience. It is to be our breath, our breathing. As we take up the scriptures, we're inhaling the air that God wants us to breathe. And as we pray, that is the exhalation of of that very same air in a sense. We pray around the scriptures. We pray God's word. We we pray his promises. We plead with him based upon what he has told us. And this is what is meant to be in the Christian's day-to-day life, moment by moment. Praying without ceasing. But we know by experience that that is not always true. In fact, for the vast majority of us, It is rare for a Christian to be able to say that they know what it is to pray without ceasing. Because it is a battlefield. And we are at war as we consider the topic of prayer. Satan does not want us to pray because he knows better than we know that there is power in prayer. He wants us to be silent as we gather together in the public prayer meeting. He wants our closet door to be kept closed and never to be entered into. He wants us to live indifferent to the Christ that saved us. But prayer is an acknowledgement of the fact that he lives within us. Prayer is fellowship with God. It is not the means of fellowship, but it is the outpouring of fellowship. Whenever you walk with God, whenever you dwell with God, you will talk with God. And it was the last time you went for a walk with somebody for a prolonged period of time and it was complete silence. Now, generally speaking, when you walk with an individual, a friend, a family member, your father, If you can think back to days as a child, you probably did nothing but never shut up the whole time. You just talked, and and, and that's what our children do. They talk and talk and talk to their parents because they have a close relationship with them. That is expected. As you're out for a walk in the park, your children are going to talk to you about something, anything and everything. And as children of God, that is what it should be for us. As we fellowship with him, as we walk with him in our lives, this is to be our everyday activity, speaking to God in the place of prayer. But as we've mentioned a couple of times, I want to really drill into our minds, drill into my mind what makes it possible for us to pray. We could maybe ask it as a question. Is it possible to pray? And obviously the answer from Scripture comes, yes, it is. But why is it possible? I want to give you three answers to that before we come to a couple of concluding points, if we have the time for that. But it is possible for us and for you to pray, not because of your church attendance, Not because you're a free Presbyterian or a Presbyterian by government or a Protestant or because of anything that you have done. It is possible for us to pray because of the atonement. Now, you might use those words and think to yourself, well, what is the preacher meaning by this? And the atonement simply has this idea of our salvation as the means whereby sin is dealt with upon the cross. Jesus Christ, he accomplished salvation for us by paying a price for us. Atoning for our sins. Dealing with our sins. And why is that important as we think about prayer? It is because sin separates us from God. As we're born in this world, we cannot commune with God. 
As we speak to one another, as we maybe try, as Esau did of old, try to get close to God, if we do the best that we can, if we try our best day by day and try to, to meet with God, we can never do it in and of ourselves because sin is a barrier. And we are sinners. And Jesus Christ came into this world to deal with our sin. That's what Romans chapter 8 and the verse 32 tells us. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And that idea of being delivered for us all is this, this idea of him standing in our place instead, making atonement for us, making amends for our sins, dealing with your sin upon Calvary. Scripture really gives us two ways in which you can atone for your sins. Your sins can be atoned for by you being sent to hell for an eternity. That is one way in which you can atone for your sins. But that payment will never come to an end. The price will never be final. If you seek to live your life as you please and then to make the payment and pay the penalty for your sin all on your own, the payment will never come to an end. It's like a credit card bill that you just keep having interest added onto and that interest uh, just increases and compounds month after month, day after day, and it will never cease. It will never end. The penalty will never be paid in full. And so you have a choice in a sense. Scripture gives us this reality that there is a choice made for the sinner. You can come and at the final day of judgment, you can be sent to hell and pay that penalty all on your own. The scriptures reveal that Jesus Christ came to give us another way. There is another option. There is an alternative. And it is his atonement. His paying the price in our place instead. For us, as Romans 8.32 says. Vicariously, as theologians might refer to it as. Standing as if he were the sinner. As if he were guilty. Taking it as if it was his own price and debt to pay. This atonement is not something we deserve, but it is gracious. It is a gift. It is the gospel, the good news, that God sent his son to save us from that which separates us from him. Without that separation being done away with and being dealt with, we could not pray. Your sins must be forgiven. If you think for one moment that you can have access to God in and of yourself and because of your own good works, because of something that you have done, then you're missing the point of the gospel entirely. And I'm not just talking to the sinner here, the individual that is yet unconverted, I'm talking to the Christian as well. In fact, primarily I'm talking to the Christian because at times in our lives we, we, we think that the atonement only really matters for us because of our salvation or because of the need of being made right with God. And yes, that is true. But the scripture tells us over and over and over again that the just shall live by faith. Our salvation is by faith, but our supplication must also be by faith. Our prayer must be prayed in light of the fact that we can do nothing. Just as you can do nothing in your salvation, you cannot add to the atonement, you cannot add to the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In a similar way, you cannot come and think that there is something in and of yourself that you can bring to the place of prayer. Yes, God expects us to give our time. Yes, there are practical things that we must do as we pray. But our prayer lists, our prayer calendars, our apps nowadays that we have to remind us to pray, while those things might be helpful, while they might be beneficial, there's no power in them. And that's kind of the distinction I want to 
drill into our minds today, there is no power in our ambitions to pray. No power in our mere desires to pray. No power in me clearing my schedule to pray. Yes, practically that might have to happen in order for prayer to take place. But there's no power in it. The power resides and is found alone in Christ. And it begins with us realizing his atonement is essential. We are told in the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the door. Well, think for a moment about the atonement being the archway or the doorway through which we walk into our salvation. It is the first steps into the house of God. First steps into his family. But Romans 8 gives us something else that is important to note when it comes to the place of prayer. If you glance with me to the verse number 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. That word adoption, I lied actually at the commencement. My subpoints are alliterated, so you can follow these three. Uh, it's possible because of the atonement, but it's also possible for us to pray because of our adoption. And a, a moment ago, I mentioned about the atonement being the, the archway or the doorway through which we walk in regards to our salvation. And in our salvation, there are many doors, many rooms that lead to many blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 opens that up and gives us many things that are built upon each other to, to remind us, and adoption is one of them. Even in chapter 8 here of Romans, in the verse 30, it tells us there that we're predestinated, we're called, we're justified, and we're also glorified. You think of those as being rooms within the, the salvation of God's house. But the adoption is not viewed in my mind so much as a, as a room where we, we think of some great doctrinal truth that we can feed upon, but it's more the environment of that house. And it changes the atmosphere of prayer whenever we recognize our relationship with God. You see, it's important to have the fact that we are, our sins have been atoned for and dealt with upon the cross and that we're, we're saved, that we're in the house of salvation. That is important, but the atmosphere is something different, isn't it? It's one thing to be invited into somebody's home, to maybe go there for dinner, to go there for supper, to spend a couple of nights with them, to be invited into their house and to take part in their family activities, maybe for a couple of days, and to have that fellowship with each other. That's one thing. It's completely different to be adopted by them. It changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? And so our prayer life should be transformed by these truths, by the fact that we have had our sins dealt with. We are in the fellowship, in the house of God, in with God, and he is in us. We'll come to see that in a moment. But our adoption just it, it should blow our minds that we can call him Father. And isn't that what we're commanded to do in Matthew chapter 6? Whenever the disciples asked him, Lord, how, teach us to pray. How can we pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. Various passages of Scripture gives us that same, that same idea throughout the Word of God. And in Matthew 6, as we mentioned, we have that, that primary expression of how we should pray, our Father which art in heaven, Acts chapter 4. It speaks about, about the Lord, and it's a prayer that is recited there in that chapter as well. And it doesn't maybe specify those words, our Father, but it's, it's an individual praying to God, to the Lord, in light of the fact and in the name of His Son. And there's this, this dialogue that takes place in Acts chapter 4 
that is all centered around the fact that we are his children and that we pray to our Father. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just sort of this prayer language that we use. It is essential to our understanding of prayer that we call him the Father. Turn with me to Matthew for a moment into the chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we see this illustrated by Christ himself. Just while you're turning it up, I'll read a couple of extra verses from the verse number 7 onwards. It says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Verse 9, Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Verse 10, Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And that ends that little section. But again, the truth is found there. Our adoption into the family of God is something that is vitally important to our understanding of the place of prayer. It changes the atmosphere of prayer, as I've said. It is the environment in which we pray. Sometimes we, maybe as children, if you think back to your early days, maybe brought up in, in, in the church, and uh, some of you will know, I, I spent a couple of years here in one of the pews, probably causing havoc, and maybe, maybe being more of a distraction to the preaching and everything else as a child under the ministry of my father here years ago. And you know what it's like as children, perhaps, to be maybe dragged, kicking and screaming to church, maybe to the prayer meeting, not wanting to go, wondering what the point of this is. Maybe you've been around the dinner table in family devotions, and as parents, you've tried to instruct your children how to pray. And for a start, they don't know what to say, maybe, at times, and maybe they're too tired to pray, and... All of their excuses are reflections of our own excuses at times, although we maybe don't vocalize them. But sometimes as we pray, it maybe seems a bit of a grudgery. Maybe as though we've been dragged to pray. It's something we don't really want to do. It's a bit of a task, a bit of an ordeal. You should be like that child that comes running home from school, wanting to tell about something exciting that happened. Wanting to tell their parents about something that took place. And as I'm saying that, sometimes you don't get that conversation until bedtime and they're wanting to go to sleep. Uh, they, you ask them maybe when they come home from school, what did you get up to today? Oh, nothing, I can't remember. And then five minutes before bedtime, you get a whole half an hour spiel of what took place. But that's what we should be like. We should be coming to God with everything that we, that we have burdened in our hearts. Every struggle of life. God wants us to see him truly as a father. It's not just some mere words that we say as we commence prayer. It's a relationship that we have with one to whom we pray. True prayer is possible because of the atonement our sins have been dealt with. It's also possible because we have been adopted and we are called sons and daughters of God. Come into his presence knowing that this is the environment, that is a family environment as we come to pray, as we seek his face. The final thing in relation to what makes it possible for us to pray is found in really the opening first half of uh, Romans chapter 8. And I'm not going to read it all again just for the sake of time, but if you just glance through it, and if you were to take a time, uh, even this afternoon, to glance through very quickly any of the epistles in the New Testament, you'll find similar language that is used by the Apostle Paul especially. Verse number 1, it talks about us being in Christ. 
We are in him and he is in us. Verse number two, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And these things are given unto us because of the one that lives in us. Let me just finish with verse number nine. It says, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, resides in you, lives in you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Turn with me to Galatians for a moment. Galatians and to the chapter number two, just to emphasize this point that it's not just uh, sort of random imagery and uh, sort of poetic language that's being used by the author of Romans, but in Galatians chapter two and the verse number 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And so the next words that are vitally important for us to take note of, not just for our prayer lives, but for our lives as Christians. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it means in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, and Romans 1, verse 17, and Galatians 3, verse 11, and Hebrews 10, verse 38, when it says, the just shall live by faith. It is faith in the fact that Jesus Christ has paid a price for us. That because of his sonship and our union with him, that we too are sons in him. And all of this combined together gives us this simple truth that is essential to the gospel, essential to our salvation, that Jesus Christ is in us and we are in him. We are not alone, is the third subheading for what makes it possible for us to pray. We don't pray in our own strength. We pray in the power of the one that is with us everywhere we go, in every day of life. And if there was no atonement, this could not be true. If we were not adopted and added into his family, this could not be said from this pulpit today, but because of the atonement, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice as the one that stood in our place, because of his adoption, and rather our adoption into his family, Because of the fact that we are not alone as we pray, we have boldness to pray. Don't ever come to the the closet, don't ever come to the church prayer meeting thinking that, well, today I read a whole chapter of the Bible, or maybe even spent a whole half hour of prayer in the closet because of something I've done today. Maybe sometimes we, we don't think these things out loud, so to speak, but maybe there is that little part of us at times as we come to pray that we think we deserve something from God because of something that we have done. That's sinful. And if we pray in that manner, in light of such things, then are we really praying? Is a question that we must ask. Are we really praying at all? If we come in our own strength, if we pray in the flesh, the reality is that it is not prayer at all if we think that we're doing it in and of our own strength. The question was asked, is it possible? And the answer is given, it is possible because of the atonement, because of our adoption, because of the fact that every single day of our lives, we are not alone. Henry Scrugel, or Scrugel, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, he was a Puritan, lived a long time ago. He wrote a little letter, 
And a letter for a Puritan turns into a book, and it is a little book that you can read now, but it's entitled The Life of God in the Soul of Man. The Life of God in the Soul of Man. What else can make you bold as you come to pray? And to know this truth, that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, lives in you. And as verse 28 tells us, helps us in our infirmities. Now as we read those words in verse 28, very often it is implied that the infirmities are ill health. And it could be that. It might be financial difficulties or persecutions or whatever list of things that you could add onto or under the title of infirmities. But again, perhaps just for our purpose here this morning, maybe for the vast majority of us, for this preacher anyway, the greatest infirmity that we have as Christians is the infirmity of prayerlessness. The Spirit of God has been given to help us in it. Jesus Christ died to forgive us of prayerlessness. That's why the atonement is essential. That's why it is important to look at the foundation of prayer because to live without prayer is sin. But Jesus Christ died for that sin. And so if we live and, and grovel in life, let me just give you a quotation actually just as it comes to mind before I forget. But if we live a life that is not victorious in prayer and finds prayer difficult and we struggle with it and it's a battle every single day and we don't live in the victory, then, then it is ultimately coming down to doubting whether or not Jesus Christ has power over your sin of prayerlessness. Listen to these words that Spurgeon spoke whenever he preached on the key of prayer. He says, if you would reach to something higher than ordinary groveling experience, look to the rock that is higher than you. And look with the eye of faith. Faith is essential. Look with the eye of faith through the window of importunate prayer. And again, that idea of importunate prayer is like that little child tugging on his father's trouser leg, asking for something more. Desiring something and expecting to get it. That's what prayer should be like for us. So we've asked one question. Let me ask you two others as we come to conclude here very briefly. Prayer is possible because of these things. Atonement, adoption, and we're not alone. But are you faithful in prayer? Am I faithful in prayer? It's one thing to acknowledge the fact that it is possible to pray. But we still have a responsibility to be faithful in prayer. And by faithful, I don't just simply mean that when we ask, that we have faith that he is able to answer. That is one aspect, yes. But in the context of this morning's sermon, my point of asking, are you faithful, is, are you faithful in his atonement? Do you believe with a full heart of assurance that Jesus Christ's atonement has power over sin in your life? Do you believe in faith because the just will live by faith? Do you believe in faith that you truly are his child, one of his children? Do you believe every single time that you bow your head in the place of prayer that you're truly not alone? Do you have faith in these things? Do you have faith in your approach to God? You could summarize that. Do you have then faith thereafter in asking? Do you have faith in expecting the answers? Are we faithful in the place of prayer? Finally, are we successful? God has promised that those that ask in his name will receive. 
You could, again, go through the entire book of Matthew and give you various examples. Matthew 7, verse 7, that we read already, Ask and it shall be given to you. Chapter 18, verse 19 to 20, it has and that passage that tells us where two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst. And what's he in the midst for to do, but if not to answer our prayers? 21, verse 22, it says, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Is this what we believe? If it's what we believe, then why is it not our experience? John 14, verses 13 to 14, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We don't ask these things for our own benefit. We ask them for his glory. And God has promised to glorify his Son in answering prayers that are prayed through his name. Prayed not just through a name that is meaningless, but through the name of the one that paid the price for our sins. The one that makes it possible for us to be his children and the one that lives in us. That's why these things in Romans 8 that are really primarily dealing with our salvation are also important for our supplication. There's a little quote um, on safe ground in one sense because the Apostle Paul often quotes um, philosophers and different people of his own day and age that were not Christians. They were maybe skeptics of the gospel or opposed to the gospel altogether, but sometimes he quotes them. And some of you might know where this quotation is coming from. I'm not going to tell you um, just because it might show too much insight into um, my own mind. But there's one quote that you might be aware of. And I'm not going to say it in the, the way in which it's said from the original source. But it's a bit of a silly thing. And it's kind of like a metaphysical idea, philosophical idea about life. It says, do or do not, there is no try. Now, you might know where that comes from, and it comes from the entertainment world, but it's sort of posed in a philosophical way. Let me just change it slightly, though, as we consider prayer, because the idea in that philosophy is that if we try our best, we won't succeed, but you just need to do something. And there's a certain aspect of that that might be true. But some of us live our lives every single day trying our best. Can you maybe remember the last time you heard somebody preaching on prayer? You read a book on prayer. You, you read the testimony of the likes of Adoniram Judson, who was a, a stalwart in the place of prayer. You think of uh, George Mueller, who saw great things done for God in prayer. Hudson Taylor, who went and evangelized China and had formed the China Inland Mission and everything else that came with it. And many other examples in Scripture, out of Scripture, throughout church history, of people that prayed and were successful. Have you ever looked at their lives and thought to yourself the next morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do the best I can to, to seek God's face and to see great victories and to be successful in prayer. Has that ever been your testimony? Maybe January time, in a couple of months time, you'll have your little journal written out and you'll desire and have a purpose in your heart to pray more often. By February, wonder how you're getting on. By September, I wonder how that has went for you in the past year, if that was one of your ambitions or your endeavors in 2022. You see, we can try our best, but God doesn't want you to try. Your best will never be good enough. Nothing that we try to do will be successful. So let me just change that little philosophical phrase that says, do or do not, there is no try, and say, believe or believe not, there is no try. You either believe or you don't believe when it comes to praying. Do not believe. 
And what is the point in opening up your mouth in his presence? All of us fall short of God's glory in the place of prayer. But his atonement, his presence with us, our relationship with him, surely if we reflect upon these things, it will give us help and power in prayer. Power comes from him. Never ever let the flesh, the world, or the devil ever tease you and trick you into believing that you have power in and of yourself because we do not. Even as we pray. All power is his. So pray to the Father through the Son. Pray for success in Guilford. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for your family members in his power through his blood. And we trust that those that have faith, that live a life of faith, will have success in the place of prayer. Let us just bow together as we conclude our service this morning.